This is Edge Cases, the podcast about the grumpier side of software development. Mostly, but not always, Apple-related. Featuring myself and my co-host, the will and grace of Objective-C, I'm Andy Pontius. And I'm Will French. This is episode 40. It's Saturday, March 9th, 2013. And our topic this week is Heroic Measures. So, okay. So I don't think we have any follow-up for this week, which would make it fairly uh, common now that we don't have any follow-up. No, no, we had a ton of follow-up. I believe everyone was glowing on Twitter at how excellent my uh, GTD episodes were. <laughs> okay. Well, you want to talk about it then? You got specific? No, no. It's just a, a, a general glow. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah, we did have a couple people mention it. Um, yeah, that's like one more than two. So <laughs> yeah. I would call that a general glow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that's cool. Well, also, so so this week's topic as well, so you talked about last week as being a uh, sort of a fluffier episode, and I would not have thought of the term fluffy as how to describe these kind of sort of non-technical episodes, but uh, but I'm down with it. So, yeah, so, you know, from now on, anything non-technical is just, that's fluffy. No, no, not fluffer. Fluffer is different. And and if, you, if you're going to look that up, just don't do it from a work computer because, you know, woo. But, um, but yeah, so this is also going to be. I would think be... as a cat person that fluffer would be a word <laughs> almost immediately. I mean, fl- uh, fluffy. Fluffy, yes. No. <laughs> well, this is derailing rather rapidly. <laughs> um, well, yeah, but, but um, non-technical does not automatically mean cat related, uh, as we will find out. Oh, words of wisdom. Uh, yes, yes, words I live by. And so I think uh, there's there's quite the chance that I will be doing more episodes like this in the future because one thing that I found was with, um, like we did the episode on storyboards, and it turns out that when you try to do a technical topic when you've only spent like a couple of hours trying something out, you know, you, you aren't necessarily going to give uh, the best range of information that people could have out there. So, you know, like there was that one post by, um, by Schwab where he kind of covered more about storyboards cause he'd actually used them than I did in my whole episode. And so I think I'm more likely to sort of go with things, go with topics that are kind of related to software development rather than technical issues where I don't know that much about them. So we'll oh, see how it goes. I don't know. I mean, I think the, uh, um, talking about a topic you don't know very much about is actually quite useful, <laughs> both to yourself and to other people. I don't seriously, because uh, it a couple of things like it, it captures the beginner's mind, and like uh, when you go right. to um, if you ever have to then tell someone else about technology, you kind it helps you crystallize what your misconceptions were or what or what you had questions about, and so it makes it easier to put yourself back in that beginner's mind, and. Uh, and also, as I say, I mean, it's assuming you can uh, withstand the ego battering, right. which sounds delicious. Ego battering, ego, ego batter, yes. <laughs> uh, chocolate, chocolate frosted ego batter. Um, it's true, it's true. But it's also so that would mean sort of saying, well, instead of kind of being about the topic, your talk would be about your experience with the topic, your beginning experiences with the topic. Right, and that, you know, yeah, that does have that does have merit, but it is true that I would, I would definitely want to phrase phrase it differently rather than saying, "Well, yes, here's me talking about X." So, well, we'll see. Uh, so, in any case, um, 
So let's get started. I believe um, you're claiming that you're some sort of superhero. <laughs> yes, yes, that's Catman. I have a, I have a cape and everything. Yes, uh, red tights. Um, maybe is that TMI? Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's gonna be five five bits, five uh, uh, sections here. When I talk about software development as it relates to heroic measures, I'm gonna do a definition of what I think it means. I mean, maybe Wolf, you can talk about what you think it means. Then I'm going to talk about my experiences with it in the, at the companies I've worked for. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to talk a little bit about maybe, maybe Wolf, your experience, experiences uh, with heroic measures, and then sort of uh, wind up with my advice about, uh, about it, about how to deal with them. So this came up with me. Uh, well, first of all, just this, the, uh, the phrase came up with me and I was thinking about it. And I was thinking, you know, why do we need, why do we even talk about heroic measures? Why is that something that you hear a lot about? Well, in software development, my impression here from my years of experience is that software just takes too long. That the gap between a realistic schedule and realistic as in air quotes, that you would need to satisfy your boss or the head of the company or your uh, market requirements. The gap between that and, and the actual work required is is just too great to to do things the way you might otherwise want to. So, for example, can you know, can you imagine um, an OS ten release coming out every five years? Well, no, Apple wouldn't wouldn't want to do that. Uh, can you imagine new versions of the iOS apps that you like coming out every three years? Well, no, you'd want, you'd want to get improvements, major improvements to your applications more often than that. But when you think about it, okay, the time it would take for, you know, let's say one person, one developer to do major changes to the iOS app, apps that you like, or for, you know, even for the team at Apple to do OS, OS 10 uh, new versions with all the features that they want to add to them, you know, it could very well take five years to do that. It could very well take three years to do that. If you weren't willing to go, if, if you wanted to do that without putting yourself out to a large degree. Uh, so I'd also say that the second part of this is that uh, software development is not spec'd out in a satisfactory fashion in what I've seen of the software development process. People just don't say, here's everything I want the app to do in all the detail that you'll ever need. So now just go off and do it in the amount of time that you say you need to do that work. Now, you come up with, you know, sort of rough plans. You come up with the feature set. You come up with um, some mock-ups, um, some um, uh, bullet point list of things. And, okay, go off and do it. And that's never enough. There's always some scrambling to flesh out what's actually going to happen in applications when you when you implement them and in some ways you know for me as a developer that's actually kind of fun to be able to 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 have a little bit of of input into how something's going to act to get the polish right myself rather than have someone dictate it to me but what it does mean is that there are going to be surprises anywhere throughout the system when you whenever you you write software always going to be surprises and the surprises um i have never seen a surprise like that be something where you can say, well, yeah, this thing that I didn't know about, uh, the fact that now we know about it when we didn't before is going to save us two weeks of time. No, <laughs> it's, it's always, okay, well, it's another week now. Okay, this, this 
surprising uh, ramification of the thing that you said you wanted to do. Now we've got to do this other stuff. And so that first way of doing it, well, try to split everything out, try to try to get everything set ahead of time is waterfall method. And, you know, that's fallen into disrepute. You don't want to try to specify everything ahead of time. And the other way around, kind of the other poll, there's probably a whole bunch of different polls, but the ones that I know about anyway, where you do it sort of agile and you say, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to decide anything ahead of time. We're just going to start and, and we'll give you new versions every, what, two weeks, every month. I'm totally butchering agile here, but anyway. And, and you know, and then you know, we'll gradually work our way towards the end result. Like I would say that neither one of those methods really is something that I've seen work. Like those extremes, neither one of them has ever worked for the projects that I've worked on anyway. Um, you're, you're never going to come up with everything to begin with. And, and your clients, your, your bosses, your upper management is never going to be satisfied with, ah, we'll figure it out later. So, so you get, you know, you get this thing in between. And the, the third thing about software development these days that I wanted to, to mention was that you, you can't just say, well, okay, here's the feature set we want. Here's the time we want it in. And if that's not realistic, we'll just throw more bodies at it because that never works. That rarely works. So, you know, you start with the idea of the mythical man month that, that you know, management has at least in general <sighs> absorbed that lesson at this point, most of the time, most, well, that's not, that's true. A lot of the people that I've worked for have absorbed the idea that, no, we can't just hire more people. And because it's not, because it, it, it doesn't work like that. If you, you, you linearly increase the number of people working on your team. Okay. It's one, now it's two, now it's three, now it's four, now it's five. You don't increase in the same linear fashion, the amount of work that gets done because of all the communication delays that happen. And of course, these days, you can't throw bodies at a, at a problem like this because there aren't any. Uh, because hiring developers is actually really difficult right now. So again, it's something that I, what I, from what I've seen, people, people understand that at this point. So they, they, they go for other means of taking the amount of work they want to do and the amount of time they want to do it in and, and, and squeezing that out, getting that working. And again, it's, it's mostly heroic measures. Okay, so let's define it. And we, we talked about sort of this episode being maybe a more fluffy episode. I would say that my definition of heroic measures, when I tried to sort of figure it all out myself ahead of this episode, it's kind of a squishy definition. I can't say too much that's entirely hard and fast. Now, you can't just say, well, a heroic measure is doing anything that you didn't want to do. Because, you know, you may not want to go to work. You know, you may not want to put in eight hours a day like you're supposed to just because you don't like your job. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it like that. I would phrase it as it being anything that you do that isn't sustainable. So in theory, you go to work every day, you put in your, your time every day and you come home after, you know, nine to five, 10 to six, whatever. And in theory, that's sustainable. You could do that the rest of your life. And I tend to think of also in terms of uh, life-work balance. Like uh, maybe you work extra, uh, but you could handle it, for example. If that were the case, then that's sustainable. If you're happy, right? It's a completely squishy definition there. 
then then that's something that could be sustainable. But I also think the cultural factors come into it. Um, so I think that most people would kind of agree that like, you know, eight hours a day is, is not heroic. That's normal. That's standard. Right. But, but there are, there are careers out there. There are fields where you're expected to work longer than that. So like lawyers are generally expected to work a lot longer than that. But there's still this sense that, well, the normal workday is eight hours, even if lawyers have to work 12. And I would, you know, from what I've seen, and I'm not a lawyer, which is probably the first time I've said that when I'm not giving legal advice, but not a lawyer. Like the people who are lawyers who have to do that don't seem very happy about it. Like they don't, it doesn't seem like they're believing that, well, that's just the way life is, so that's sustainable. No, they're they're going through it because that's their career. But, you know, they're very lucky to, to burn out, very lucky to, to not have nice home lives, whatever. So I would say generally if something, even if it's what the field says you need to do, if it doesn't seem right, then I would consider that to be a heroic measure. And I would say that especially for the software development field, it's mostly time. When you say, well, you need to put an extra effort. You need to go above and beyond. You need to, you know, show us that you're, you're really enthusiastic. That usually means work extra work, work uh, later on the weekdays, work on weekends. It doesn't really seem to be anything else against programmers. Maybe it is for other fields, but you know, your, your boss isn't going to say, well, I need to use your car. You know, I need, I need to hang out at your house. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an extra measure that I need from you. No, they're, they're, they're mostly just going to say, well, I need you to work extra time for this. So it might also be, you know, uh, extra, extra energy, extra like, a, like a intensity maybe. Certainly anxiety is part of it. Like if a lot of times if, if, if you know, if, if you're anxious about your job, you know, either that's because you think you're going to get fired, but, or it's because you know that this sort of thing is going to be required of you in the future. I think anxiety is a good harbinger, harbinger, harbinger of this sort of thing. And, and then, so, you know, if you are, if you're required to do all this stuff, then the results are generally negative, right? You get burned out. Uh, if you don't have a good home life because you're working all this extra hours, maybe you get divorced, and certainly, you know, years later when you say, well, what did I do with my life? You know, you're going to regret the fact that, that you put on these extra hours while you're doing it. Um, but then I also think when, if you talk, well, let's, let's define what it means. You're putting in a heroic measure, putting in extra hours. That's kind of the negative side of it. But is there a, are, there, are there positive heroic measures? And I would say that there are. And another way I think you could define positive here would be voluntary. Like if you're doing it because your boss tells you to do it because you're afraid you're going to lose your job. I would, I would tell you that to be negative, but if you're doing it because you want to improve your, your, your skills. So you uh, reading a programming book or you learning a new programming language or you're taking a class. Well, I would say, you know, that's to improve your own life, the personal advantage to doing it. I would say that would be the difference. And while you might say, well, you know, hey, my boss said, well, if I work extra hours, you know, I'll get a raise next time. That's still the company making you do it. Company telling you to do it. 
it's not an immediate personal advantage because they're still getting more out of you than, than you necessarily want to give. Uh, although another side of it, there's something that, that might benefit you personally. Like if you took a job that you weren't quite qualified for, and so you had to work extra to, to do well at that job. Well, then that's, again, that's you having a job, which you might other, which if you weren't taking these heroic measures, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't have, you couldn't get that job. Presumably that's something that you wanted to do. You want to advance, you want to improve yourself, you want to get better. And so that would be another way, I think, of, of calling it a, a positive job. And it's especially positive, I think, when you can get away with it, when you can actually tell the company, you know, yeah, I don't know this stuff yet, but I'm going to learn it while I'm there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, upgrade myself while I'm working there. Because then there's no, there's no deception involved. It's not like you're, you're trying to hoodwink somebody. So that would generally be how I would... I'm not sure, again, if I actually really defined it. But in general, so the definition being... For software developers, mostly it's putting in extra time to do something, to get something done. As opposed to just putting in the standard amount of time, the, the, what's expected of you. And like for work, again, I would say in general, it's eight-hour day and, and, and not feeling stressed about it. If you're putting in more than that, that's going above and beyond. That's a heroic measure. So any, any thoughts so far, Wolf? Well, as a contractor, it's uh, um, obviously different contractors work in, in different ways, but uh, right. I work, I uh, bill by the hour, and I, and for the record, I recommend all contractors <laughs> work that way, right. but I realize that's infeasible for some people, but in general, I recommend this is how you should work. And um, so I think your definition of heroism falls a bit short, because I have definitely been involved in heroic projects, but... I mean, if a, if writing a piece of software takes a hundred hours, it you know it's really the same cost to the client whether I do those hundred hours in two weeks versus doing the hundred hours over two months. Uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But the obviously the two weeks thing is heroism because of the intensity, the focus that's required, um, and so I would say it's more kind of uh, maybe the heroism is related to how much you neglect the other parts of your life. Like if basically mm-hmm. if you're if you're going beyond what if you're putting more time in the project and and kind of you know I think it goes to the work work life uh, balance trade-off right. mm-hmm. that if you if you are uncomfortable with with the balance with the trade-off then I would define that as being heroic. Right, because it's it's above and beyond what you would otherwise want to do. Right, sure. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're incompatible in those definitions because I would tend to talk about it in terms of you know I would tend to talk about it in terms of eight hour days. I mean, I don't know exactly how you would describe that, but yeah. So so if you're putting in those hundred hours in two weeks, you're not putting in eight hour days. You're putting in more than that. True. And you're putting in your weekend's worth of effort. So it's really kind of, it's kind of the same thing. It's just not the same way. And it's also like you're getting, you're getting paid for those hours. So that would be a difference between a, a contractor and, a, and a, somebody who works a, a wage slave, a, a corporate stooge, as, a, as Dan Benjamin would call it. Um, they're not getting paid for those extra hours. And you are, but it's still, it's still a heroic measure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's see here. So the second bit was, um, actually the third bit, I guess I talked about 
Oh, uh-huh, I didn't put that. There are actually six six sections. I missed one. So the one that I missed when I was uh, putting together a little table of contents for this was uh, Heroic Measures in Academia. And uh, I actually saw this article recently and said a website called CaptainAwkward.com, which is uh, kind of a... Uh, they, they answer questions, the um, kind of like a, a advice column thing. And in this particular case, the, the question was, do I have to destroy my health to be in grad school? And they talked in the question, and I'll put the link in the show notes to it, about how a lot of grad schools kind of have this culture where they say, well, we demand a lot of you uh, as, as a standard way of living. We demand you put in a lot of extra hours. Uh, we demand, you know, in some cases up to the point of like your advisor for grad school saying, well, you know, you seem to be having a little bit too much of a life here. You know, what, what, what's your problem? Aren't you committed to this? And, uh, and that sounds, <laughs> it sounds horrifying. Um, so I didn't, I haven't gone to grad school myself, but I do know from my experiences in college, there was certainly a lot of the culture was based around the concept of an all nighter. And so even if you weren't doing an actual all nighter, even if you weren't staying up all night, there was a lot of the sense of the way you do it, the way a lot of people do it, the way most of your friends do it when they have a project that needs to get done or a paper that needs to get written is to do a lot of it, you know, right the night before do it, do it in this, in this, in the end, this kind of heroic, uh, 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 intense last minute effort. And so most people would say, well, you know, that's stupid, right? Why don't you just, why don't you just do it? Pace yourself better all the way through it. And certainly there were a lot of people who did pace themselves and didn't ever have to do all-nighters. I don't think I ever actually did a complete all-nighter. I never stayed up all night for the various things that I did in, in college. But I certainly, you know, I would stay up late sometimes. And so it seemed, but it seemed like that was not, that, that was viewed positively. And, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, calling it a heroic measure. Like, as you said, heroes, you know, if you don't, you don't describe it as, like I can imagine some sort of German word where they, you know, they kind of, you know, they fit together five verbs and five nouns together into one noun, where it's something along the lines of, you know, measure that is not really necessary, but that you do anyway, or or extra measure that you shouldn't have to do, but you do, or something like that. You know, calling it heroism is is kind of stacking the deck a little bit. But so one thing, you know, college being a while ago now for me, did we do that? Did I, did I do that extra effort at the end because it was, it was how people, how I was sort of indoctrinated to do it. Was that something that I thought was expected of me that I waited till the end to get it done? Was it done because I really did have too much extra work? It's actually kind of hard to remember right now exactly what it is. But I do think that since it is something that people did in, in college. This is something that people got used to in college. That's part of the way people think when they come out of college. So what I was thinking when I was thinking about this, this uh, topic was that certainly uh, young developers, and you, know, you read about it in, in, uh, in articles, they talk about how people will hire, companies will hire young developers, people right out of college, because they can push them harder, they can make them work longer. 
and you know certainly some of that is the uh, naive <laughs> with uh, being naive. <laughs> I was trying to think naivete. Na- naivete. Why couldn't I say that word? I have it written down. I still couldn't say it. Naivete. I would have helped you out on Harbinger, but I'm not sure if that's how you say it either. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Uh, well, certainly naivete and endurance. So someone is more capable of working lots of extra hours when they're younger. Um, they're more or uh, stamina to to deal with that. And so, but is it just those two things, or is it also that what they've been taught in school is, oh, of course you, of course you stay up late. That's just how you do things. That's how that's how work goes. That's something that I was thinking about. So that if if college were very different, if college were the kind of thing where they said, you know, oh no, make sure you pace yourself. The most important thing is that you pace yourself. Then would people be so willing to do that coming out of college? Don't know. I do know that my own experiences with heroic measures, I, I certainly have put in a lot of extra hours at companies over the years. I worked at a lot of dot-com companies early on, and it seemed to be a lot of times that was, you know, that was kind of the way they, the air they breathed was, was hurry up, hurry up, you know, do things as fast as you can. And, and you know, I did it. I did it when I, when I was younger. Um, so let's see, but there are a couple of examples that I wanted to talk about in particular that are, that are kind of, kind of interesting. Um, there was one time at one of the dot-com companies I was at, and I was at a couple, one, two, at least two companies where uh, we were contracting companies. Um, and, and one of the companies, and I'll talk about that in a bit, if we have time, was hourly. I did bill hourly. The first company I worked at, I did not bill hourly. The, the contracts we got were not hourly, but rather, I don't know. I was young at the time. I don't know exactly how they were they were they were uh, negotiating them with their clients. But certainly, I never filled out a timesheet. Is that true? Am I just forgetting that I filled out a timesheet? Hmm? In any case, the project that I want to talk about was one that I was not on, but that other people were on, and that was doing an online auction site for Sotheby's. And this was many years ago. I. I looked at Sotheby's site recently, and I'm not sure if anything like this is still around. It wasn't like connecting you to to, to actual live auctions. It was a it was an online auction site, so it was entirely through the website. And I can't remember anymore if this was like in competition with like uh, like eBay or not. I I don't remember anymore. But in any case, what I do remember is. This was very new, like, like either no one had done anything quite like this before or, or maybe, you know, maybe just eBay was doing it at that point. It was something very new, very ambitious. And they took like 20 to 30 people or maybe 30 to 40 people, again, details are a little vague now, from the company that I was working at. And they settled them in a single room in the building across the street from where the rest of us were. And they put this one engineer, uh, sort of a very uh, promising engineer, someone who'd, who'd done a lot of good stuff for them already, but had never run a really big project. They said, okay, now you're in charge. Go make this work. Now, the idea of kind of putting people together in one big room, uh, which I've, I've heard described as, as a war room, right? Not necessarily a bad idea. Because like a war room is kind of almost an anti-heroic measure. Because it's it's the attempt to get more out of you, more um, efficiency, more productivity, without necessarily taking more time from your lives. Because you know you get people together, you can communicate better. 
you can you can schedule things better you can do all that so so is you know you that sort of sort of magic get 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 magical improvements in productivity but on the other hand it is a heroic measure because it's also not sustainable because the whole point of a worm is that you don't keep it running all the time you have to eventually end it off and and there are trade-offs involved right you don't know much about american foreign policy do you <laughs> well that's a good well <laughs> right so we'll get to that in a second um but you know the the trade-off one of the trade-offs being that now it's harder for you to communicate with everyone else in the company because you're kind of intentionally being isolated and of course it's harder on privacy cuz you you're stuck with all these people um, but yes, you know, when you talk about a war room, you know, war being kind of an emergency, kind of a heightened state of uh, a time when you're putting more effort into it. So I think that even though it's been kind of uh, described to me, especially by the people who are running them, that, you know, the whole idea is, you know, increased communication. But I think there's also this sense of, well, if we put you in this, this extra space, if we put you in this new situation, it's kind of our way of saying we want more time out of you. We want more energy out of you. We want we want uh, 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 exceptional effort out of you. So it's kind of one way of saying we want heroic measures without really saying it. Do it, and certainly that was true of this of this auction site. Um, although it was certainly the most extreme case that I've ever seen, uh, because again, putting you in an entirely different building, like crazy, and. And everyone kind of knew, like the people who weren't on that project kind of, you know, were saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm not over there. Because um, it was crazy, you know, like the client kept changing their mind about things. And 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 it, it seemed clear pretty early on that that it wasn't going well. And, <laughs> okay, so, so we'll give you one guess. Do you think this project succeeded or do you think this project failed? Oh, it has all their greens to success. <laughs> right. So it dragged on for a while, and it, it, I, I don't remember all the details. But it certainly lasted longer than the initial estimates were for, and, and then it gradually became clear that you know, there was just no way to salvage a working website out of it, and the client eventually pulled the plug. But you know, why did somebody think that this was a good idea? Well, I think they thought that they could just take what they had, they could, their, their, their existing ingredients in the company, and they could just squeeze and that would make it happen. And so, you know, that, that doesn't generally make it happen. Like, uh, uh, attempting to get heroic measures out of people who are not ready to, to who, who even if they tried, like even if they put in all the hours they could, you know, they were never, that was never going to succeed. Well, so how could you make it succeed? I think, I think that's a good question. And of course, no one was really worried too much about that right then. But, but how, how would you do that? Like, if this is something new, if this is something that no one has ever done before, you can't hire the people. You can't say, okay, well, we'll hire someone who's done it before. Well, you can't. Those people don't exist. Could you, could you, instead of sort of trying to ratchet up the tension in this, okay, we're all going to put you in the same room and we're going to make it really, you know, make it really clear that this is a killer, killer thing we need to do. You know, maybe you, maybe you lowering the tension would help. Make it clear that this isn't, this doesn't require you to kill yourself for. Would that have made these people able to think through things better? Probably not. The things that I can think of here is that is that if you haven't done it before, you kind of have to manage it differently. 
you have to say, well, if we don't, we can't manage out a, a year long project, we could manage a one month project where we try certain things out and see whether they work or not. And then if that works, then we do another little piece of it, then we do another little piece of it. And it's almost kind of like you need heroic management when the project is that crazy. And of course, that's the one thing that you usually don't get. Like usually what you get is, oh my God, people have to work longer. People have to work harder. But that's not really what's going to help you. So I had another example of a war room, which is actually kind of uh, diametrically opposed to the, to the auction site. Because there, this is my second uh, contracting job, job at a contracting company. I was a full-time employee. There were like three or four of us, and they moved us into a new area. And again, they called it a war room. But it never really felt like, it never really felt like that kind of Hail Mary, that kind of world's going to end thing that the first one did. It was just, oh yeah, you guys move over here. You're working on this project now. And so it was light years different in, in, in mood. It was fun. Like we would uh, have rubber band fights, you know, or, or at least maybe not rubber band, but we'd throw stuff at each other because, you know, we were all within visual range at that point. And we worked together pretty well and, and communication was easier and it was easier to... You know, okay, hey, I have a bug. I want to talk to this guy about it. Talk to this person about it. And see what to do. It it did make it, it did give it a different feel. And uh, and again, because it was because it was hourly, they didn't necessarily want more hours out of us. Well, they want I think they probably wanted some. It's a little hard to remember anymore. But they didn't want, you know, like, oh my god, stay there overnight, you know, to get stuff done. Um but it was it was kind of the sense of well this is a special occasion this is this is this is something um, extraordinary to the point where actually one of my coworkers convinced uh, uh, management to to buy us lunch every day and you know he said well hey you want more hours out of us you know you want us to do more you know if, if we don't have to if we don't have to go out and get lunch well then that saves you some time. And, uh, and we were actually kind of surprised that they went for that the first time around because, of course, they could just say, well, just bring your damn lunches in, you know, if you want to save us the hour. But I think it was kind of that, that feeling that instead of them pulling over one on us, like we were kind of pulling one over on them, and it almost actually worked better. Like, I, I think, you know, it was kind of fun to, to be able to say, hey, we're getting treated, we're getting treated like kings. Of course, it was just lunch, you know, it wasn't like it was something that they were spending, I don't know, some, some huge amount of money on. And I also don't know, my, my impression is, is that like whether they got us lunch or not actually didn't change our productivity all that much. It actually didn't really matter. And the second time, we actually had two different war rooms. The second time around, they didn't get us lunch anymore. <laughs> and we still worked pretty much the same amount. But overall, you know, I would say, of course, the project got done and everything pretty much worked. So, so overall, I would call that a success. Then, of course, the last company that I want to talk about in terms of the heroic measures I've done would be Apple. And uh, what do you think, Wolf? You think they uh, they wanted us to uh, put an extra effort at Apple? Uh, Apple seems a pre-slacker company to me, so I imagine they're pretty chill. I mean, they're in California, right? So, right, sure, sure. Yeah, Everybody, I mean, no, nobody wears shoes. Yeah. We all wear jeans I mean, the lead the guy went, went barefoot, right? Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Actually, there was only ever one Apple employee I knew who went barefoot all the time. And it was really kind of, 
you know, he would go barefoot everywhere, like outside. Uh, not something I would recommend. But um, but actually, now, Apple was the first company where I heard the term called crunch time. So I'm not actually sure. Uh, Wolf, had you heard this term? Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's it's still it's kind not, of standard. It's not, a, yeah, it's not a specific Apple thing. I don't know if it originated at Apple, but it uh, definitely is outside the Apple vernacular. Well, for the first couple of years, and I was there a bunch of years, and for the first couple of years, the first couple of projects there, crunch time was reliably like the last month or two of the project. And, you know, we're talking maybe like a project about a year long or, or so. So the last, you know, last bit of the project, especially when you're working on bugs, that was when it was kind of, okay, we want you to put in the extra effort here. And, you know, proportional. So, like, if it was a two-year project, maybe it was two, two months of, of, of bug hunting. And I know, let's see, that there would, it, it would be fairly, it could be fairly explicit from what I remember. I may not be remembering exactly right in all cases. But it was to the point where, okay, yes, you know, we're going to tell you extra effort. And I don't remember, I don't remember them ever actually, you know, come in or, come in or you're fired. Right. It wasn't like that. But Apple, I don't know. They just had a way of making it clear that like, okay, yeah, you're really expected to do this. And so we would do it, you know, up to the point, actually one of the later times it was like, okay, come in this weekend. Like come into the, come into work, come into the office on the weekend, this particular day, everybody be here. And it was, you know, that actually kind of didn't work so much for me because I was at this point I was living in San Francisco and you know hey I can do the work from home you know and that way I don't have to drive an hour there and an hour back to get to get to the office but that was kind of part of the idea like and again it was kind of it felt like a little war room a miniature war room like hey everybody get together you know it'll it'll show esprit de corps you know everybody gets to eat and they would and oddly enough they bought us lunch again it was crappy takeout but um so that was the same thing, and and it was, it was obvious that it wasn't just the work, because again, we all could have worked from home. So actually, in the end, I'm actually not entirely sure what it was. I guess it was just you're showing that you are 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 a, a, I don't know, a team player that you'll go the extra mile, and and we're we're requiring that of you. You mean like signaling and human communication? I mean, how rare is that? Uh, not sure what you mean. <laughs> I just have I just have a one of my uh, pet peeves is signaling, social signaling, and uh-huh. this seems like the entire thing is like you know you are you are not a member of our tribe if you don't come in. You're not one of us. Well, and it's funny because I think in earlier versions of that same kind of thing, it was actually almost handled more subtly. Like this one was actually interesting for its ham ham handedness. Uh, because it was, you know, no, you come in here. Whereas I think, again, somehow in previous projects, they made it clear that you need to work extra hours without actually having to come out and say it. Not quite sure how they managed that, but they did. Um, but so, so crunch times, so earlier projects, there were crunch times. But actually what's interesting is, is for Xcode 4, we had switched to like something of an agile development. And it wasn't all of the agile stuff, but... Um, I mean, there were sprints is what I'm saying. Instead of things being sort of 
much kind of looser where you say, okay, here's, here's the project overall and just get started on it and, and whatever. Now there was, well, every, like every month, you know, you're going to do this amount of work and you're going to show us what you've done at the end and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've heard lots of people talk about the, the way that, that this kind of stuff can work, agile, the way the sprints can work. Um, but here it was interesting because the goals that we were, we were given, you know, when you come up with your own goals, but we were like more than encouraged to come up with ambitious goals each time. Like it wasn't just be conservative and do the things that you know you can get done, you know, only promise what you know you can deliver. No, promise what you're not sure you can deliver. And what that actually meant was that it really did feel like a sprint. Like you weren't just walking, you weren't, it wasn't business as usual each, each month. It was, you know, tension. It was anxiety because, oh, I'm not sure I can get this done. I got to, so you got to put in that extra effort every month instead of just closer to the end. And it actually wound up being, in my mind, at least emotionally, it made things worse in my mind. Like it, it might've been sort of a better way to portion things out. It might've been a better way to organize things from the view of management, but, but I, you know, it, it, it meant that it meant that crunch time was kind of never ending at that point. Um, so now I, I left Apple, uh, before Xcode 4 was, was shipped and, and I didn't leave because of this, uh, other reasons I, I wanted to work on, on iOS applications, but this aspect of working there towards the end, it was actually pretty tough. And, and I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Like Apple is, is such that the company can demand more of its employees than a lot of other companies can, because it's really quite a bit of a status symbol to work at Apple. It's you get quite a bit of, of, of benefits of working at Apple. But, uh, but I really think that that sort of squeezing it. And I don't know, like I haven't been there in a couple of years now. Maybe they changed it all around, you know, maybe, maybe you know, I'm just coloring things by my own perception. But I do think that that it, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it as an employee and I wouldn't recommend it as a company to do that too often because you, you, you know, a decent number of people were not all that happy how that worked. So we're actually running out of, uh, running out of time here. Um, I do want to say that kind of in the same fashion, what I just said, I would say that my advice for people when you encounter that requirement to take heroic measures is in general to get out. Now, now it's a little bit of a nuanced piece of advice here because, you know, I'm not necessarily saying, well, if a company says, well, sometimes we're going to have crunch periods. Oh my God, don't take that job. Or if you're in a crunch period and you know, you're required to take heroic measures for this particular time period. Oh my God, quit. No, I'm, I'm more saying that, don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck with the, with the requirement that you need to put in unsustainable amounts of work. And I think that, as, you know, especially now, especially when people are, are in more demand, software developers, you have probably have more leverage than you think you do. You can probably push back more than you think you can. And I think this also holds true for, uh, for your own self, self-improvement projects. Um, if you find yourself putting in a lot of effort into something which doesn't seem like it's going to have an end, then rethink it. Then, then really, you know, 
in the same way that you would say, well, you know, for my job, hey, come on, guys, when is this going to end? I, you know, I don't want to do this forever. You can say that to yourself. Well, when is my project going to end? If I don't have a clear goal, try to come up with one so that, so that you're, not, you're not putting yourself out of balance for too long. Or at least know that, you know, when I get done with this in two months, I'll have this specific reward out of it that makes it worthwhile. So, make sense? Mostly. Mostly. Okay. So, uh, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm. we're out of time here, so I just want to pretty much just uh, provide uh, references to a couple of things that I thought of while you were talking. Uh-huh. Uh, number one is, uh, you probably heard of the capability maturity model. Capability maturity model. Not, not as such? Yes, it... Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know when it was invented. I'm assuming probably in the eighties, but it might go further back, but, um, it's, uh, a way of thinking about, uh, development process and it comes in, uh, five levels, level one through level five. And so uh-huh. it's not, I guess not, not zero based. Um, and the initial level one is the, the initial one and it's called chaotic and, uh, they, the, the term that I hear used, I don't know if it's actually part of what they say here, but uh, that it's, uh, it, it relies on heroism to get done. So that in order to ship the product, someone needs to be a hero and do s- crazy superhero human things in order to actually get a product out the door. And if you lose that person, I guess you lose the project or another hero has to step up or be made. Um, and level two is repeatable where that it still might require you know, superhuman heroism to actually get done or something, but, but uh, hopefully a lot less of that. And then it goes to defined and managed and optimizing and stuff like that. But uh, so I recommend uh, you check that out. But I would say uh, the capability maturity model is itself bankrupt. Uh, a lot of uh, consulting shops uh, tend to use uh, CMM to say, hey, we're a CMM sh- uh, level five shop. And those are tend to be the shops you want to stay away from because those are the guys who are more interested in covering their butts instead of shipping software. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good thing when you can, when, uh, you know, as the uh, CIO, you can go to the CEO and say, hey, hey, I hired these guys. They, they claim they're CMM level five. You know, that's a good way to cover your own butt. But right. you know, if you actually want to ship awesome software, um, usually, any, any, usually just ignore that. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that uh, Tom DeMarco, who's uh, pretty famous for his uh, book called Peopleware, uh, he also wrote another lesser-known book called Slack, which is also a really good read. And uh, I and it's it's only it, a lot of like the heroism stuff um, <clears throat> kind of made me think of you know putting in hundred percent of the effort into getting it done, and where there's um, his main thrust is kind of. Is a is a he talks about against being lean and mean as as it were, but a lot of it is is also applicable to the idea that if you're putting 100 percent of the effort into this one thing, then you almost by definition don't have uh, resources to do these other things that might come up, and that's why if you know if you have a, a day job where you're putting in the consistent eight hours and you get uh, deep in a project and you realize you have more work to do, um, you you do have extra resources there. You can oh, right. you know, kick in the afterburners, but if you're already in afterburner mode, then you have no, and you will you will suffer that schedule slip. So it's um, so this is just an interesting way to think about. It. It's definitely a good read. I recommend yep. you check it out. And uh, yeah, we're already over, so I'll just shut up there. Uh, 
Um, okay. And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll do a little follow-up about it next time around if we have some time. Okay. So please visit our website, edgecasesshow.com, all one word, for show notes, a link to our podcast on iTunes, and more. And you can find us individually on Twitter, me, A Pontius, A-P-O-N-T-I-O-U-S, also the same on app.net, and Wolf, his last name, Wrench, that's the word rent, R-E-N-T, plus Z, plus S-C-H. We'll see you next time.